We, we're going to speak about evangelism. The topic that everybody goes, yeah, for. But then in their heart actually says, help me, Lord. I've had um, evangelism experiences, like I'm sure you have. Um, I just got saved. I was in Port Elizabeth. And a group of people said, we're going on the street and you coming with us. And off we went down to Main Road in Port Elizabeth, the main street. It was still quite nice. I remember there was a thing called OK Bazaars. And we stood outside OK Bazaars. And somebody stepped forward and gave a testimony. I was standing there, you know, as the Afrikaans saying, And this was my first effort at evangelizing. And then suddenly somebody took me and they pushed me forward and they said, Your turn. And suddenly I was standing and now I had to speak. And as I did that, a car stopped and friends of mine from the cricket club were in the car and they rolled the window down. They said, what are you doing? I'm, I'm testifying about Jesus. And they laughed. They said, are you out of your mind? You've gone off the rails, brother. It's my first effort at evangelism. Disaster. Disaster. It was terrible. I decided I, I'm never going to do that again. I'm a bit loud. I'm kind of reading from the Amplified. And it's coming over a bit loud. Can I turn that? You, you know about this stuff? Sorry, I don't know anything about it. But there we go. Can, can you hear me? You guys at the back, you can hear me. Okay. And then, a couple of weeks ago, I, um, I um, was shadowed by a young man from, from TMT. And uh, he arrived on the Thursday to stay with me till the Monday. But the Thursday night, I had something on, so I dropped him with Neil. Somewhere, Neil. He's with the kids. And so... I said, to, I said to Neil, I'll fetch him later. And Neil stays just down here on Main Road in Kenilworth. Quite a kind of famous spot for la ladies of the night. So uh, I said to him, look, it's an awkward place to park. So when I get to you, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to drive up on the pavement and I'll park. I'll warn you I'm there, then, you know, come out. And Neil knows I tease him often. He's not exactly a mercury-tipped winger type. So it took a bit of t And I'm sitting waiting there. And the next thing, there's a knock on my window. And I panicked. I said, get away, go away. <laughs> my other attempt at evangelism also complete and utter disaster. Because what do you do? The first thought that went through my head was, I hope nobody who knows me sees me. Because... I'm parked, and she's knocking on the window. Hello. <laughs> so evangelism can be something that is just, you know. But evangelism is something that all of us do unknowingly. Now, I'm, who said that? Oh, well, Nikki, love you. If evangelism is... It's, first of all, Jesus said in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, you don't have to put it up, you, you can if you want to, but Acts 1, 
um, you, you will receive power when the Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. Jesus didn't say, look, you're going to try your best. Just try your best and be a good witness. He, he said, when the Spirit comes on you, you will be my witnesses. Now you can be a good witness or you can be a bad witness. So we witness with our lives. How we live our lives is how we tell the world, tell people who don't know Christ who Jesus is. We live it out. Our lives tell a story. Amen? Or I can testify. People come up and testify. Now, I'm, I love testimony. I seem to be far away, so I walk in front of this thing all the time. There we Don't go down now, forever, whatever you do. And we, we testify, and sometimes we think that testimonies, my youngest, and I, he'll excuse me for this, he said to me once, Dad, I said, why did you do what you did? He said, I wanted a testimony, man. <laughs> and in his mind, a testimony had to be something, you had to be like a real ponce in your Philistine days. I mean, you had to be a complete and utter burke. You know, drugging, drinking, woman. If you didn't do that, you didn't have a testimony. So I said to him, listen to me. Being brought up in a Christian home and becoming a child of God is a bigger testimony than the people who've lived like that. Because people who live in a Christian home think they just become Christians. Look, if you're born in a garage, it doesn't make you a motor car. You, you have to be born again. God doesn't have grandchildren. So you, you give testimony. You testify to what God has done. And we mustn't testify to what we were. We must testify to what we've become. What I was is irrelevant because I was dead then. Stone dead. The Bible says I was dead in my trespasses and sins. Dead, dead, dead. I've spoken to dead people. They're dead. They don't answer. They don't respond. And then you evangelize. So you witness. Your life's a witness. Sometimes you can share things. You witness. You give testimony. And then you evangelize. You become, as uh, Estian said this morning, Paul said, you know, we must do the work of an evangelist. That's very important. He didn't say, Timothy, you're an evangelist. He implied he was. But we aren't evangelists. Fivefold evangelists. We're going to win the world. No, we evangelize, then we tell people that they need to accept this Jesus and what he did on a cross. Amen? So, what's the go-to verse? Mm, it's not what I was thinking of about evangelism. Try again. Try again. The great suggestion, I mean the great commission. Matthew 28, 16 to 20. Now, now, this is the story. Leave that there. Jesus has been resurrected. The women find the stone rolled away when they go to the tomb. They find the tomb empty. They meet an angel who tells them the good news that he's risen, that he's going to go ahead of them to Galilee. The guards who were posted there also see the angel. And the Bible says they shook and became like dead men. The women were amazing. You, you, the angel's talking, go to Galilee, because that's where he's going to meet you. Then the woman meet Jesus, who tells them not to be afraid, but to go and tell the brothers to go to Galilee. 
and he'll meet them there. And then it says this, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee. You've got to listen when the women speak, guys. Then they went. The woman said, he said, go to Galilee. Go. <laughs> That's supposed to be funny. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. Now listen to this. When they saw him, they worshipped. But some doubted. Out of the 11, there were some who still doubted. So sometimes if you have a little doubt in your heart, it's okay. It's okay. You'll get over it. As soon as you get into his presence, and then it says, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Some doubted. As I said, somebody once called that the great suggestion for the church. Yeah, come on, we must go. I think too much emphasis has been placed on therefore go. And Dale will smile now because we did this little Bible study some time ago. And I actually did look it up just because I wanted to check up on you. Because I don't, you know, like the Bereans, we checked up on everything, yeah? We had to do that. In verse 19, it says, therefore, go. Now, if you're an American, you put the emphasis on the wrong syllable. You know what I'm saying? Aluminum. <laughs> Aluminium, you wally. Aluminum. If you're American, I beg your pardon, I'm sorry. So, so we read that verse, therefore, go and make disciples. But the command is actually, therefore, go and Make disciples. And so the implication of the therefore go is, it means this, in your going, as you go. Imagine suddenly we all went. What did Estian do? He's leading us. We've, they've gone. We're, I don't know, they've just gone. And, 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 and it's in my going. So where do I work? When I came to, to, to Cape Town, I worked in town. In my going to the office, I have got a field of Philistines. There they are, all there, right, sitting at their desks. Easy, I can fish in this pond. Because they need to see, first of all, my life. And then they're going to hear my testimony. And then I'm going to tell them about this Jesus. So in my going, I don't have to go anywhere except to work. I don't have to go anywhere except to college or to school. I don't have to go anywhere. They are everywhere. The Philistines are everywhere. We don't have to go hunting them. They're next door, cutting my lawn. Borobirman, you're cutting the last again. Yeah, look, at, I can hear the stuff growing at night. I've put a fertilizer on you now. And you talk to your neighbor, you know, these days, morning. Why, do Christ, why are we scared of the unsaved? What am I going to say? Just first befriend the person. First get friendly. And I'll show you what I mean by that just now. Evangelism is not this thing of... How many of you got saved through a friend or a mother or a grandmother praying for you? Come, don't be shy. Put your see. A lot of you. I know for some like Justin, it was a 
long process, but you know, so <laughs> some of us take time. So all authority has been given to me, Jesus said, in heaven and earth. Therefore go. What's the authority? The authority is the power and the presence of God by spirit. That's what gave Jesus authority. Remember at his baptism, the Bible says that the Spirit of God descended on him like a dove, and it settled on him, and the Father, the Father said from heaven, this is my beloved Son, and in him I am well pleased. And some people said it's like, it was like thundering. Well, the voice of God is like many waters. That's beautiful. Then they said, what is that? On the, on, the, on, the, on the Mount of Transfiguration, the Father spoke again. This is my Son, with whom I'm well pleased. And listen to Him. Beautiful. Beautiful. So we've got to learn to listen by the Spirit what God is saying to us. So He said they must make disciples. Acts chapter 8, 39 tells us about Philip and the Ethiopian. Did I give that to you? I did give it to you, but anyway, it's fine. I might have not given you that one. So here's the story. Yeah, thank you, Stephen. So here's the story. Philip gets told to go into the desert. He walks alongside this chariot. Here's this Ethiopian eunuch reading the Bible. And Philip asks him, you know, what are you reading? And he says, I don't know unless somebody explains it to me. So Philip explains it to him. It's a good scripture if your friends don't think in, of baptism by immersion. And they're driving along in the desert. And Philip suddenly says, there's water. Let's baptize you. So they, they would have had water in the cart. You know, he could have done the little number. But there, there's water. Let's baptize you. And then, and, then, and then it says, the Ethiopian went on his way rejoicing. He was on his way. Philip met him on his way. And he led him to the Lord. This is what Christians do. When the trains were still trains and the buses were still buses and the taxis were what they used to be, you'd catch a train to work in the morning. You'd go from, you'd go from your house. And you'd go and stand at the station on your own and into your carriage and then you'd look, oh, there they are. Morning, guys. Praise God. You sit in your little holy huddle and you talk. Can't get contaminated. The world will... And then you'd get to the station in town, run off to the office, work what you can do then at lunchtime, meet with your Christian friends. Hallelujah. What did you get in your psalmist today? Oh, I made chicken mayonnaise. Oh, I put onion. After work, back to the train, same little huddle, and get home. Oh, I made it. Paul writes to the, you know, this is not on you, I'm way off my notes, way, way off my notes. Paul writes to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians 5, he writes this. He says, I have written you in a letter. Now, by implication, that letter is some letter they never got. There were three letters for the Corinthians, but we've got two. This one, he says, not to associate with sexually immoral people. Then he says this. Then he says this. Not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and the swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave the world. But now I'm writing you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother. So, as Christians, we've developed this little 
thing to keep us kind of pure. And we've, we've confused moral and geographical holiness. And we think if we go, what's going to happen? Jesus, please save me. Please help me. I'm gonna, you won't get contaminated. They're going to catch what you've got if your life speaks like it should be speaking. Can you say amen? We're not, we're not afraid of the unsaved. What am I going to say? Well, Jesus said to the disciples, go, and I'll give you the words. Don't worry about what you're going to say. Just go. We cannot confuse the fact that Jesus is saying we must be in the world. Now, if you work, you're in the world. My job, I work in sheltered employment. Because all I see is Christians with issues. I don't, I don't mix with, it, with the Philistines enough. That's why, seriously now, I should play more golf. Say amen, Emil. Good. Because there I meet Philistines. But in my role, I know I've got them at home, and I meet them, and we chat. But it's the, the Christian, we're supposed to, we, our, our life must play music that is attractive. What is it about you? You, you haven't mentioned, why is it doing that? Am I too loud? Ask the man who knows. Can, can you? Are the speakers all right? Okay. Because that's your fault if they're wrong. I'm not taking ownership for any of this. We, 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 we first befriend people. We first... We find out about them. You don't have to first meeting. I remember when I first got saved, I thought if I met someone there and then, you've got to get saved now. I had another experience. A guy came with a little card. He was a guy of the street. And I don't know why he chose me, but he said, you know, you've got something to help me. And I felt, you know, compassion for the guy. Then he started quoting scripture. And I didn't know the scriptures, and he quoted Revelation 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, if any man open. Now I understand the scripture. I felt so guilty. And he took me for a ride. He took me. I gave him money. I gave him things. He wasn't interested in God. All he knew is I had a bit more than he, and he wanted what I had. And he manipulated me. And the world is good at doing that. And so that's why Jesus sent people two by two. Because when I go two by two, this guy gives me a bit of mortal support. And I get a little bit of chutzpah in me. And I think, I can do this. Because he does it, then I do it. And we build each other up. But if you're on your own, just testify. Just witness. Just say, this is what I am. What do you do? I play golf. I have... Later. not well but I play and then you play with guys four of you in, a, in a, what they call a four ball and three of them are Philistines and then after four or five holes and the color of the sky has changed because they swear really well they make the sky a different blue then they say so what do you do and you think here's where the rubber hits the road well I'm, I'm actually a pastor I'm, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I said, listen, don't make your problems mine. 
I, you can swear with it. It's not my problem. It's your problem. Oh, you're okay with it. I said, I'm not okay with it, but it's your problem. It's not mine. As we go, as we go, there was a survey done some years ago on why people join churches. Percentages. Why people join churches. It was called the Win Art Research Program. People coming to church on their own initiative. Now, don't look at this little congregation. We're talking hundreds, thousands of churches that they did a survey on. People coming on their own initiative between 3 and 5% of people in churches. People attracted through a special program between 2 and 3%. The pastor, I think this is a lie, should be much more between 3 and 6%. I'm just saying. Can't be. Local organized evangelism. Now this is not what we're doing. I'll get to what we're doing. Between 1 and 2%. You know the EE3 thing? You put a little badge, you walk into checkers. What's the badge? If you die tonight, where are you going? I say, you go to hell. Bro. Don't talk to me like that. I'm a Philistine. Who are you talking to me? Where am I going? I'm going to heaven. It's this affront. Jesus never spoke to anybody like that. Never. You can read the Gospels. Never, never, never. Jesus never said to anybody, you're going to go to hell. Never. That's not a good program. Special evangelistic campaigns. I'm not against them. But if people are going to join the church, it's less than 1%. That's what the survey showed. In Nigeria, they had a million people at a mass campaign. Hundreds of thousands of people got saved. Where are they? Jesus said, I want you to go and make disciples. I don't want you to go and make Christians. I don't want you to go and make believers. I want you to make disciples. Adult Sunday school, between 3 and 4%. Friendship. This is what we're on about. We're saying, invite your friend to come to a meeting. Now, here's the problem. We think if I invite Pit Pompis and he gets saved, I have a responsibility after that because he's my friend. So, you know, now this is going to cause trouble, you know, because now I'm going to have to find time to look after him and disciple him and help him. Friendship between 70 and 90% of people join the church because of friendship. Why do we do the other things? Why don't we do friendship? Because I'll tell you why. You think, moi, must preach. I'll bring my friend to church and they'll throw out the net and they might catch one. That's for us. You must bring them. You must bring them, but you must realize afterwards you've got the responsibility. It's not my responsibility. It's not Estian's responsibility. It's not the elders. It's not the deacons. The com leaders. It's your responsibility. Have you ever discipled somebody from becoming a Christian 
into some kind of uh, maturity walking with Jesus. Have you? Now, don't put up your hand, please. Now, I'm in a privileged position because that's kind of, you know, before I had a, a proper job, now I've got this job. You know, that's what we do. When I came to Cape Town, 1983, I was branch manager of an insurance company office. First day, I said to the staff, um, um, just before lunch, we're going to have a meeting. Because you know what it's like in the morning, everyone's a new guy, everybody's on edge, and got this little boardroom, all of them came. Only about 14 of them came. I said, okay, take a seat, take a seat. Then I stood, and I explained who I was, and I said, I believe in two things. Either it's right, or it's wrong. In the insurance industry, it's either right or wrong. And I explained that I was a Christian man. I believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to do things the right way. If you do it wrong by mistake, that's okay. But don't intentionally do things wrong or make it grey for me. I'm not a happy camper when that happens. I said, if you want to talk to me, with pleasure. And that afternoon, they all came, knock on the door, Mr. Kidwell, can, it's nice, Mr. Kidwell. <laughs> and they were either lapsed Methodists or backslidden Catholics or they'd been once to an Anglican church, we used to be a Baptist, whatever it was. They all came and confessed to me who they were because why? My life spoke something to them. Now, that sounds very arrogant, but testimony of Jesus, it's not about me, it's what about Jesus did in me. They came to ask. Just a testimony. There was a young, young guy. He was nuts about cricket. His name was Cedric. He was crazy about cricket. There was a guy who used to play for Western Province and for South Africa by the name of Dennis Hobson. We went to school in Grahamstown. I knew Dennis. He was at a posing school. We used to play against each other. And we used to sell third-party discs. Some of you old guys will remember that. And we used to sell a lot of them. And Dennis Hobson worked into the office. And this little guy just stared. It's Dennis Hobson, he's here. I said, hey, is it Hobbo? Hey, kiddos, how's it going? And Cedric couldn't believe it. He gave him his signature. Cedric contracted leukemia. And I prayed with Cedric. And I prayed over his chair in the mornings when I got in early. And I prayed. I went to his wedding in series. And I had to give a speech which was unannounced. And I didn't know about and. I got involved in Cedric's life and Cedric became a Christian. Now that's not me, but it was an effort. It was a mega effort. Series for a wedding. I just Cedric just works for me. All these chummies, he lived in Sarepta. Off we went to series and I was so excited. The boss was Cedric's bosses, you know. Stand up and you talk about Jesus. Friendship, friendship, friendship. That's the key to getting things done. A quote, I wish it was mine. The best argument for Christianity is Christians. Their joy. Listen, if you're a bit miserable, get into the presence of God. Because the Bible says in his presence is the fullness of joy. And it's not just joy, the fullness of it. If I appear to be joyful, it's been because I've been in his presence. And I've seen something and I've tasted something and it pleases my soul. My neighbors say you, 
whistling this morning again. Yeah, I'm singing in the shower. He said, I could hear. You had a tune. I said, I don't care. I'm singing because the joy of Jesus is my motivation. Our certainty. We know, like Brian's saying this morning, that one song from uh, Town, Town End. What is his name? Stuart. Well, I actually know him. I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm just saying. Um, he sings these beautiful songs about the certainty of our salvation, that we save, that Christ saved. What does that do? It makes me assured of who I am. Our completeness. Jesus has completed it. There's nothing we said. It's finished. It's done. The strongest argument against Christianity is also Christians. When they somber, joyless, self-righteous, smug in complacency, when they're narrow, repressive, and all those other things, Christianity dies a thousand deaths. Guys, we should be the happiest people on the planet. A couple of weeks ago, I said to one of the models of, that Christ uses for his church is a bride. Now, if you go to weddings, I think I mentioned it. The bride prepares herself, man. She gets ready. She has assistants and its nails and its hair and its eyes and its lipstick and its shoes and its everything. And the oak puts on his suit, has a shave, puts a bit of aftershave, does his hair, said, right, I'm ready. It's true. And then you see these big mana standing in front. Yeah. Then they turn around and the bride comes in and her beauty totally destroys him. And he becomes a sniveling little wreck because her beauty has, has raptured him and captured him. And he stands there vulnerable and useless. And the wife says, I got him. And she comes up the aisle with it and I'm joking. But the beauty of the bride, that's what the church is. Jesus is preparing us for himself but he's preparing us as a people that people outside of our situation will look at us and think, what is it about you? There's something special. It's amazing. Can we put up Ezekiel? Now, Ezekiel is a very difficult book, but this is a beautiful... This is an... It's an allegory. It's a good word for me. So I looked up what it means. I can spell it now, and I looked up what it means. No, I'm joking. An allegory is a story that tells more of what the story tells. In other words, there's, there's things to tell outside of the story. Okay, that's an allegory. It's a, it's a story which points to or has a hidden symbolic or spiritual meaning. And the Lord is talking to Jerusalem, to Israel. And he says this, and I'll read it. On the day you were born... Your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to make you clean, nor were you rubbed with salt or wrapped in clothes. No one looked on you with pity or had compassion enough to do any of these things for you. Rather, you were thrown out into the open field for the day, for on the day you were born, you were despised. Now, I read about this. In those days, when a child was born that wasn't wanted, they actually discarded them. And the Lord says, that's what you were like. That's what I was like. 
And then it says this. Then I passed by and saw you kicking about in your blood. And as you lay there in your blood, I said to you, live. I made you grow like a plant of the field. You grew up and developed and became the most beautiful of jewels. Your breasts were formed and your hair grew. You who were naked and bare later, I passed by and when I looked at you and saw that you were old enough for love, I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I gave you my solemn oath and entered into covenant with you, declares the Sovereign Lord, and you became mine. I bathed you with water and washed the blood from you and put ointments on you. I clothed you with an embroidered dress and put leather sandals on you. I dressed you in fine linen and covered you with costly garments. I adorned you with jewelry. I put a bracelet on your arms and a necklace around your neck. And I put a ring on your nose, earrings in your ears, and a beautiful crown on your head. So you were adorned with gold and silver. Your clothes were of fine linen and costly fabric and embroidered cloth. Your food was fine flour, honey, and olive oil. You became very beautiful and rose to be a queen. And your fame spread among the nations on account of your beauty. Because the splendor I had given you made your beauty perfect, declares the Lord. That's a picture of his church. All of us were like that. On the rubbish heap, God found us. Maybe somebody this morning thinks, well, I don't know if, I've, if God's found me. I, I, I don't know my standing with God. I... I can't honestly say that I have this assurance of faith of uh, when I die, I, that God's working in me. I, I sense something of God in me, but is God, am I responding to that? We'll get there just now. What did the world see when Israel's beauty was displayed? He said, you displayed my beauty. I'm nearly there. I'm doing well. It's only half past now. Eh? They saw the splendor of God himself. And you'll do good to ask, how did they see it? And again, I quote, I wish it was mine, it's not. The beauty of God was displayed through Israel's culture and institutions. Now listen to me. This is still under the law. Does grace exceed the law? Please say yes. Grace exceeds the law. So it's actually more difficult to live under grace than under law. Grace is amazing because Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law. So all these beautiful things that Israel had, God's placed in us individually as his church. So Israel's culture and institutions, her courts of law revealed the justice and holiness of God. You come to church, we're not a court where we judge you. It's a place where you hear the good news that Jesus Christ has come to this earth as the Savior and the Lord of mankind. And it's, it, when people sit, they should feel, I'm drawn to these people. What is it? Her artistic expressions, the tabernacle, the temple, revealed the order, the symmetry, and the beauty of God. You remember I said... Moses went up the mountain 40 days to get a plan for the tabernacle, just for a tent. 40 days. Everything had to be perfect. David got the download from God for the temple. And we've got the download for the, word, for the, for the church in the New Testament. The bride, the family, 
the building. That's the download. They will see it. They will see it if we live it out. Israel's sociological patterns of marriage and family, her care for the infants, because that's what was happening, marriage, family, care for infants, and the aged pointed to God. Israel's relationships to other nations pointed to the covenant-keeping nature of God, as well as his hatred for righteousness. You've got a covenant-keeping God. When God says, I will do it, he'll do it. You know the parable of the two sons? And the one, God, the one the father said, you go. And he said, I'll go. And he didn't go. And the other guy said, well, I'll think about it. And he went. We must go when God calls us to go. Now, it's not, Justin teaches at school. He's got a testimony at school. I'm not, I'm not picking on you it's just because I know you well and you're younger than me and I've, you know, I'm not scared of you. Because <laughs> I know your wife. <laughs> But he, he, he's got a testimony. He's got a, Brian's got a testimony at his work when he goes. I mean, you work from home. I'm not saying you don't work. You know what I mean. You know what I mean. Lisa's got a testimony. He worked at thing with Justin at school. Everybody goes somewhere to work or to college or to something. And if you're at home, you've got neighbors. What's the song you're playing through your life? What's the music that you're playing? Is it grunge? <laughs> and you go, grief, switch that off. I'm such an old, whatever these days, somebody drives into our complex and there's a bit of bass in a car. I run out, where's the car? Where's the... I think, sit down, sit down. It's been so quiet all day. At least there's some activity. You know what I'm saying? What music are we playing? What music? Israel's law with its exalted views of personal value and dignity was part of his reflected beauty. That's the laws of the Spirit. Love one another as I have loved you and love your neighbor as yourself. That's what people see. Israel's code of business ethics as recorded in her laws was another facet of God's splendor at work in human affairs. Well, we can doubt that one today, but no, this. In a nutshell, Israel's beauty was the beauty of a redeemed people living, acting, and relating in concert with the divine will. That's what God wants. That's evangelism. That's evangelism. There's a story. You've ever heard of St. Francis of Assisi? Wealthy man, gave away everything, just had a robe, wandered around with his mates. And somebody said, Francis said this once, every day I tell people of Jesus. And sometimes I even use words. It's not really true. Somebody put that on him. It's, he didn't say that. But every day, your life tells a story. If you're a grumpy old git in your house, and then you come out on a Sunday morning with your six-foot-by-four-foot pocket Bible going to church, your testimony is nothing. It's nothing. Because the music you play in the week, this, friends, is Facebook. Home is where the heart is. This is Facebook. We all come, you know, hallelujah, glory to God, praise God. Man, I'm so happy I could die. You know, I'm too stressed to be blessed or too blessed to be stressed, whatever it is. This is Facebook. You know, when people put on Facebook, we had this for breakfast. I don't care what you had for breakfast. How's, how's your heart? You know what I'm saying? That, this is Facebook. Because we all come and we put our little masks on. Here we are, lovely. How are you doing? Oh, couldn't be better. 
If you're English, not too bad. <laughs> Whatever that means. If you're an Aussie, no, I'm doing mate. I'm doing great, mate. No, no, no problems. If you're South African, well, you know. Yeah, well, you know. You, you know, you know how things are. What can we do? You can do a lot. Shine for Jesus. Makes a big difference to somebody's life. The music the nation played was an attractive music. That's why God chose them. And he chose them. He said this in Deuteronomy. I'm not choosing you because you're the most numerous. I'm choosing you because I'm choosing you. He chose Estian and Mariska. If people knew him before he got saved, and I know people who know him, they said, brother, nothing's impossible with God. <laughs> Ross, who's gone to, nothing is impossible with God. That's how Jesus wants to see his church. First as individuals living our lives in harmony with him and with one another, and then corporately displaying the beauty, the wonder, the playing of music that the unbeliever gets attracted to. I, I try to find it. I couldn't. I'm not good with Google. I don't know what to put in um, to find. There's, there's a story of a ship, of ships used to pass an island, and these, they were like, Ladies would sing on the island. Do you know the story? And, and, and it was, it used to, the, the captains of the ships used to get so caught up with it. And then they'd all crash. And it was, you know, it was a false, it was a false note that they were singing, but they were so taken with it. Listen, the church must sing a song that, that people hear and say, that, that, that's what I want to be like. That's what I want to be like. And we can be like that. How do we like that? I'll end with this. The two guys on the Emmaus Road, and I'm going to go back to the scriptures somehow, somewhere, maybe, perhaps, if I'm lucky, because I missed that, and I think that's quite important. Where are we? Luke chapter 24. You know the two guys on the Emmaus Road? And Jesus comes alongside them and says, you know what you're so downcast about? They said, where you been, bro? I'm paraphrasing. Haven't you heard? There was this guy, Jesus. We all thought he was the Messiah. And now he's died. And they went to the tomb and his body's not there. And they asked each other after he, Then he spoke to them. And it says this. We're not our hearts burning. I love that. As he talked with us on the road and, listen, opened the scriptures to us. He opened the scriptures. Then in verse 49... I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power. Jesus said to them, he explained, it said, from the prophets through Moses, he explained. He opened the scriptures. He told them about who he was. He opened the scriptures. We open the scriptures. You don't take your Bible and bash people. The word. This is what the Bible says. I don't care what you say. No, you must care what they say. And help them see that what the Bible says is the right thing. There's two things. It's right or it's wrong. You can be wrong about things. Has it ever occurred to you? You might be wrong. We, 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 we teach the truth, the scripture. Then it says in Acts chapter 1 verse 4, this is it, on that occasion while he's eating, gave them a command, don't leave Jerusalem. So Jesus said this to those guys. He opened the scriptures. They received the word. Then he said, now before you go, wait until you receive the Holy Spirit. Now we don't wait for him anymore because he's come. We wait on him. 
So he's here, he's present. We wait on him. And sometimes the waiting takes a little longer than we actually want. But it's like fasting, you've got to discipline this old flesh. You know, fasting the first day, and then please, if you with people, eat sweets because your breath starts smelling, I'm just saying. No, I'm serious, eat peppermints. Because, you know, then people pray for you, and I'll do a courtesy drop. I'm out of here. <laughs> and then the second day gets better because the body gets attuned to this not eating. And then the third day you think, oh, I can keep going. If you fast, that's how it works. It's that first day. It's that first step. That's how we witness. It's that first, can I, should I, must I, oh God, please help me. And I think you said it this morning, I don't know. Take the first step, and somehow God comes alongside. And suddenly you begin to get confidence, and you begin to share what Jesus did, and what Jesus does, and what Jesus can do. Last thing. 40 minutes. He sent his son. He sent his spirit. I sense the church. Everywhere Jesus went, he took opportunity. Um, I'm going to go through Samaria. Well, I'm just going to go through Samaria. John chapter 4, woman at the well. And they come and find Jesus talking to a woman. <laughs> Bad news. Don't you, minister, oh, Jesus, we warned you. Woman on your own. <laughs> Bad, true. And, but what you're eating, that was the disciples' understanding. But what are you eating? We, we just went into town to get something to eat. Did you want to eat? No, he said, the food that you know, uh, the Father gives me, I don't need that. It's like fasting and giving. The food for the body, suddenly you think, this thing cries, man. My, my throat says, you know, my stomach says, your throat's been cut. What's happened here? Feed me, feed me. Discipline. That first thing, just share your faith. Testify, witness, and you evangelize. What we're doing on the 25th is we're encouraging you to pray for those people that you've got on your little list. Then invite them to a meeting. I've got two people I'm praying for. I'm inviting them, praying, please God, they come. If they get saved, I've got work. I've got work because they're not married they separated. So I've got two people that I've got to bring through. That mustn't be what puts us off. That mustn't be. It's friendship. 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 If you walk into a church and see somebody you know, you feel, ha, ah, this is good. If you walked into this meeting, I don't know however long ago, maybe today, and you felt, you know what, I, I actually feel loved. I praise God. I've been to churches three weeks in a row, and nobody even greeted me. And I thought, the orchestra's died. The conductor is, I don't know where he is. It's, there's, no, there's no music. Not this music, there's no music, there's no life. If you don't have life in Christ, then I want to say to you, after this, I'm going to pray now. Please come talk to me. If you're not sure of where you stand with Jesus, 
Because he's the life. He's the way, he's the truth, he's the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Jesus gave his life. We sang about it. Cost him. Come on, guys. Just a little bit of cost. Pray for those people. Don't invite them first. Pray for them first. Pray that they will say yes. Say, Holy Spirit, won't you convince them that when I ask them, they'll think, good idea. Amen. Father, thank you that you have given us a mandate to share, to speak, to testify, to witness. Thank you. I thank you, Lord, for the music our, our lives do play, but I pray that you'll help us tune into your orchestra as you conduct the, the music that we play. Lord, help us to, help us to play good music. Help us, help us to be people who are beautiful from the inside out. Just people with grace, wholesome people, not religious, legalistic, silly Christians. Wholesome people, understanding we live in a world that is sinful. Understanding that sinners sin. We used to be like that. We, we enjoyed it. We loved it. And then you showed us a better way. Lord Jesus, thank you for showing us a better way. And I pray that if these next days, weeks, leading up to the 25th, we will have people on our hearts and we'll pray for them and that you will convince them that they should come and we will see salvations for the glory of your name. And everybody agreed and said, Amen. Amen. God bless you.